0: Opposing the, the government and opposing the conservatives, I'm afraid it's the hard left who want to tighten their control. They want to uh, sideline uh, moderate voices. I don't think anybody should be surprised about that. Is the nature of the hard left? And of course, we know that the hard left famously cannot tolerate any you dissent. Are the hard What's Well, We know who the hard left are. Who associate with the hard left? You just said so that we were right breeze. to right-wing it's a hard left agenda. Printing money, nationalisation without compensation, sort of hard left wing position. Hard left, the 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 hard left, hard hard left, hard left, hard the hard left, left, hard left, hard left, 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 hard left, 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 hard left, left, Yeah, well, do you have anything to bring up now?
1: Um, I I suppose I could talk about Dune for a while, and then we could probably wrap up. Or I don't know. What have you have you
0: watched anything else? Just because I haven't really seen any of the Dune stuff. You said you got a little um, list. I mean, I've started. Uh, I, I I've watched some other
1: stuff, but nothing too much. That's I'm like, oh, I really gotta talk about that uh yeah i I watched uh horatio hornblower fuck is that (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's it's, um based on uh, a a series of historical novels it's a a show from like the i want to say late 80s early 90s like okay check uh it's got uh, it's it's a uh, uh, it's what what's the name for this uh, sub genre? You know, it's basically like high seas uh, sails uh, kind of action. What is the name uh, for that uh, subgenre? Show.
0: Nautical. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Gregory like, Peck played not, this like,
1: guy. I feel like there's a term like similar to swords and sorcery, but to do with. You know, like not pirates, because he's not a pirate. He's for the Royal Navy. Um,
0: yeah, all I can think of is um, nautical. <laughs> I don't, I don't know, man. Set, sorry,
1: I don't know, but it's it's set during the uh, like the, around the time of the French Revolution and Napoleon and all
0: that. Oh, cool! Did did, and, uh, did you watch Wonderful Gregory Peck once? Gregory Peck. Gregory um, Peck! I, Bob Dylan voice. <laughs>
1: All I remember about it was that it starred Gregory Peck.
0: <laughs> I was watching a movie starred Gregory
1: Peck. Probably. Um, <laughs> I, think, I, I think I watched the whole series because it's like uh, there are a bunch of um, movie-length episodes.
0: Oh, right. I don't know. It doesn't say which uh, fucking thing Peck uh, played it. Oh
1: wait, let's see. No, this is I think this was a different adaptation. Yeah, this is ah. from much earlier. Yeah, no, Peck did uh, one in 1951. I think that's a feature film. Ah, okay. But what I watched was a series of feature film length. I think it was made for TV uh shows. It had Uh, It had Robert Lindsay.
0: Oh, cool. Comrade, known for his classic tweet to Eddie (laughs) Marson, saying, uh, I'm shocked by your descent into extreme right-wing views, Eddie. Keep this up, and you'll have a column in the Daily Mail.
1: (laughs) I Also had, do we know Paul
0: McGann? Yes, I do. He played Doctor Who. (laughs) Uh, as with, like. Oh, yes, that's why I'm I know surprised what, I haven't seen him in. Sounds yeah, funny. every fucking British thing I watched recently seems to have a former doctor in it, so I'm surprised that he hasn't cropped up in anything I've seen. Yeah. Uh,
1: Those are the two names I know. Yeah, I don't know
0: any of these other yeah. people.
1: <laughs> but, uh, I mean, w- what was fun? There was a sort of Are We the Baddies moment in an episode where, like, they're helping the royal the royalists the french royalists to recapture a town in france Scum. And, like no no nobody in the town wants them there <laughs> and they're very clearly like not they've not been invited there <laughs> uh, and, and they're like oh no are we maybe not not great but then there's another episode where which deals <laughs> with like irish people joining the french to fight them and it's sort of like oh nice has the tone of like oh these people are traitors <laughs> like, these... wow. like it's not it's not like like, it, like they literally they literally have this irish guy who's like an actual like turncoat traitor who just like is in the british name uh. it's like ah, oh, well actually i'm gonna they're they're gonna turn you into the french and get you arrested that's awesome what a legend i'm i'm evil and irish and so a bit of a mixed bag weird show i i I liked i i had fun with it because i enjoy the like master and commander style like uh sea based nautical shit (laughs) that nautical subgenre A nautical subgenre. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Interesting. I see um Philip Glenister is in that who played um beloved racist um uh police officer um Gene Hunt in Life Life on Mars and Ashes to Ashes. Do you remember that show? Um no, I've not seen it. He was racist with a heart of gold, and sexist. Look, he is a man of his time. I think that's what the show was just saying. Like, look, he's just is a different time, and uh, <laughs> it was a time when it was acceptable. And uh, if you think about it, it kind of still is. <laughs> I think <laughs> there was that kind of time when there was sort of you know that mm. was the time that that show was made. Um. I just realized that uh, I was reading on the Southern Comfort, you know, that film I was telling you about earlier, the film where the Cajuns, it's like Deliverance, basically. Um, There's there's a a subheading on its Wikipedia, uh, Change of Story Under Iranian Censorship. In the late 1980s, Iranian state TV, IRIB, broadcast the film under the name Operation Lagoon. The film was shortened to 95 minutes and the story was changed. In the Iranian version, a group of US Army soldiers who opposed the Vietnam War are sent to a mission among manhunters, equipped only with blanks. (laughs) This is so dope. This is great anti-American propaganda. The soldiers are killed by manhunters, one after another, as planned by US authorities. At the end, when the remaining two soldiers believe... The U.S. Army truck is coming to save them. The picture fades and a voice of constant shooting is heard, indicating the U.S. (sighs) authorities killed all the soldiers. The film was a huge hit among the Iranian audience. The Iranian film critics believed that the IRIB censored version made more sense considering the American government's alleged (laughs) atrocities overseas. (laughs) Like shout out to the Amer- the Iranian film critics, a more enlightened bunch than the uh, the uh, infidels. I was going to say, it sounds like
1: an improvement.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I would love to see that as like a historical document. That sounds amazing. I had no idea about that. Um, and I guess for Hollywood studio, were just like you paying us, so yeah, sure, do it. <laughs> Whatever. They're not. You know, they didn't spend the whole seventies doing like an eighties doing argo type shit to you know liberate uh oppressed canadians uh in iran <laughs> uh yeah um i was just reading about this uh tv miniseries from 1980 called guyana tragedy the story of jim jones and obviously it's about the jonestown massacre as you can guess but uh our hero, yeah, friend, of, a friend the show. of the show. But this this has, like, the sickest cast I've ever seen, actually. Powers Booth as Jim Jones. Ned Beatty as Congressman Leo J. Ryan, who's that congressman who got killed in the Jonestown shit when he went down to investigate it. Uh, James Earl Jones oh, yeah, yeah. as Father Divine. Randy Quaid, who is now, like, some like crackhead Trump supporter <laughs> who has... Uh, Clayton Ritchie, based on Timothy Stoen, um, who is an attorney best known for his central role as a member of the People's Temple. Uh, Meg Foster as Gene Ritchie. Brad Dourif as David Langtree, based on Larry Sha- Shanked. Um And yeah, those are all the people I've heard of. Um, but still, that's like a pretty... Heavyweight set of names um, to head up your fucking TV mini series in 1980. This was when it was like totally yeah. uncool to do TV. So like fucking respectable film actors wouldn't touch it with a barge pole, you know. Obviously, now we live in a golden age of television. Now, just kidding. Streaming killed it. Right. <laughs> there
1: was a minute. There was a minute.
0: Yeah. Yeah. well okay so i'm just looking at randy quaid's wikipedia now and on political views there's just a short paragraph saying that he supported trump believed that the 2020 election was rigged um and three years after the election trump uh three weeks after the election rather trump on twitter thanked quaid for agreeing with his claim that the election had been rigged uh but then also um like (laughs) there's like a huge legal issues section on Randy Quaid's Wikipedia in 2006 Quaid who acted in Brokeback Mountain sued the producers for misrepresenting the film as a low budget art house film with no prospect of making money in order to secure Quaid's professional acting services at below market rates okay well that makes them sound shady but um yeah, he yeah, he's definitely done stuff himself where he is in the wrong. Like in two thousand and nine, he and his wife were arrested for a defra- allegedly defrauding an innkeeper using an invalid card to play to pay a ten thousand dollar bill. Um, and they paid most of the- most of the bill subsequently, but then failed to appear in court. Um, but then the charges were dismissed eventually. <laughs> um. No, just against Randy Quaid. His wife got sentenced to, like, three years of probation and community service, and then they were both charged with burglary after they, like, spent five days occupying the guest house in a vacant home they had once owned. (laughs) At some point, it doesn't say how long ago they owned this home, but they claimed that the home was wrongfully transferred to a third party by the use of a forged signature. Um... And then he tried to flee to Canada, where he sought asylum protections under the Canadian Immigration and Refugee Protection Act, (laughs) saying that he and his wife feared for their lives in the United States. (laughs) Then border authorities arrested them for their outstanding warrants in the States. Um, And then his wife got Canadian citizenship in 2011. Uh, But he didn't. (laughs) And then... um, um yeah he got arrested for being uh for not checking in in Canada as a non-resident uh his passport was revoked by the US state department in 2011 his um he was deported from Canada no he was going to be deported to Canada but one week prior he drove he and his wife drove across the Canadian border into Vermont were detained by US customs um then it doesn't oh then the vermont judge found irregularities typical of these liberal vermont judges and voided the extradition request whereupon the quades were released and allowed to remain in vermont without conditions um so that's that's the last thing there he still plans to try no now he's given up on trying to move to canada and now is saying he's going to make vermont his permanent home so like that doesn't mention like his drug problems or anything, but I assure you, <laughs> I'm not, I am not. I don't think I just got that from nowhere. But yeah, just a little...
1: <laughs> I'll take
0: your word yeah, for it. Yeah, a little bit of Randy sure. Quaid um, trivia there, and his, uh, quite a lot of Randy Quaid trivia. Shift this disclaimer to earlier in the episode, the book that I am about to discuss, Philosophy, it's for philosophy of modern song. Oh yeah, I've so another thing that I've uh, consumed recently is um, cannabis. Uh, no, is this a uh, book that's just come out by um, a little-known music critic called Bob Dylan, uh, which is called "The Anatomy of Modern Song," um, and uh, for all of us who. Uh, have longed to um, have intimate knowledge of Bob Dylan's anatomy, Uh, this book is exactly what we've been waiting for. No, I mean, what's striking about the book is that, like, although every word drips with Dylan as a prose stylist, uh, and in the sort of little riffs where he's kind of uh, just, like, vibing on the themes of a song, like, She drives you crazy! Yeah, like uh, she's a mean bitch, or like he's just like vibing on, you know, just like trying to like get into the head of the character who's sing who's singing a song. Uh, those are some bad examples, and they're not very Dylan esque. But he does do a bit, you know. So a lot of songs are like love songs, and so he he does do some of those kind of things. Yeah, um, but like. Ev every word of the book is is super Dylan y. Like it's it, it's kind of if you've read Chronicles, his semi memoir, um you know, it's very you will recall that in his, his prose stylings in this. But um what's really strange is that sort of at no point does he explicitly acknowledge that he is Bob Dylan. <laughs> he doesn't he never talks about um I spoke to the writer of the song. He's never like I played this song on tour. He he doesn't really say, When I first got married, like this song uh played at my wedding. He 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 leaves um and you know, he's a very private guy, so it's kind of understandable, but he leaves, um, so much of himself out and yet still manages to convey so much of himself and his little eccentricities and quirks. In the writing, um, it's really it's a really fascinating book, and I I have asked for it for Christmas. But I did listen to the audio book, which is read by um Dylan himself, Jeff Bridges, John Goodman, Steve Buscemi, the late Philip Seymour Hoffman. No, no, the entire cast of *For Big Lebowski* is not in this, but the three <laughs> principles of that movie's uh, uh friendship group are um and between this the fact he licensed his song the man in me to that movie and the fact that both goodman and bridges appeared in dylan's film master anonymous in 2003 i have sus- i i've begun to suspect that dylan likes the film the big lebowski and possibly watches it. I on think his... he
1: might be right.
0: I think he may well <laughs> watch it on his tour bus for a laugh occasionally. Um, and yeah, like uh, it's also got like Oscar Isaac, Helen Mirren, Jeffrey Wright, uh, some some big names uh, reading reading this stuff. And Dylan himself generally shows up to read his his quote unquote riffs on uh, the the like <laughs> so like his one for the Warren Zevon song Dirty Life and Times which is I think the only book from after the so the only song from after a year to after the year 2000 to have a chapter dedicated to it in this book he he is crazy he's like he's kind of getting into the head of this Zvon character and his who's di- lived these dirty life and times so he's like <laughs> your, your your penis is like a coiled pistol shooting gold so that's not what he says but he, he <laughs> there's a lot of like explicit like penis talk in that which is uh, you know Nice. A very interesting, and I can't possibly replicate any of these um Dylan these Dylanisms off the top of my head. But um, yeah, I I think it's um a really richly rewarding book. Um, I've seen some people kind of um taking quite like a, a gendered critique of it, and I, I should point out these have been male critics that I've seen writing this. Um, but. They, you know, one thing that's been brought to the attention is that, um, you know, that has been highlighted by a couple of critics is that only four of the 66 songs covered by Dylan are by women. Um, and I think there's a, a sort of question mark there, which is like, what do you mean by women? Because um, a lot of these songs kind of uh, Dylan, he will highlight a particular version, but these mid 20th century songs were not by any one singer or artist, you know, Dylan may have highlighted um, a version of a song by uh, uh, who's a I'm blanking on like white singers from that era, <laughs> like by Elvis or something. <laughs> might have, but Aretha Franklin might have recorded that same song. Um, and 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 really, really, what's yeah. important is the jobbing studio musician. Uh, sorry, the, the the like professional songwriter who uh, was a salaried employee of a record company who wrote that song that's really and yeah most of those people were men at that point and 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 but i think that this is a self-defeating um way of looking at the book because um you know i should i um have a a, uh you know get, get have a swell of patriotic outrage that i think about three british people are covered in the book uh, this is not by any means a complete <laughs> picture of musical history um goes without saying if you're if you know Dylan's music taste, but this is a deeply racially mixed book uh, you know I would even suspect that maybe the, there's a majority of black artists in it but I, you know I, I can't confidently state that but um mm. you know that, that you know Dylan pretty much when you think of modern song um you think of like okay the Beatles (laughs) the Rolling Stones neither of those artists feature in the book I mean they're passing mentions of them sure but um you know the only songs by British artists that Dylan covers are London Calling by The Clash um Pump It Up by Elvis Presley obviously I meant to say Costello here which Dylan suggests is influenced by him. <laughs> That's one of the rare... In fact, he doesn't even acknowledge that he is Bob Dylan. He suggests in in an offhand comment that this song may be influenced by subterranean homesick blues. He just assumes that you know who the artist who wrote subterranean homesick blues is. Um, but, like, you know... Who who gives a fuck, man? <laughs> like, come on. Um, there's no there's no shit in here from like after the year two thousand. <laughs> like, Bob Dylan is an old man who is not um selecting these kind of uh who who's not like selecting the songs that he chooses to write about by any kind of criteria. Um, it just it's just kind of an honest reflection of his taste, which is like songs from the mid 20th century standards blues and country um that's what he likes if that's not your idea of modern song then um you know tough shit (laughs) um but it's really whilst dylan's knowledge um and and analysis of music is is a delight the song's real uh, sorry the book's real pleasures come from just h- him as a pro stylist. Just uh, just the fantastically eccentric interpretations of these songs, like El Paso by, my, by Marty Robbins. Uh, just like, it's a song of genocide, a song of nuclear holocaust. <laughs> it's like, I can't remember what one thing that people have highlighted a lot is this one where is he, is he talking about like he, he might even talk about um, what share it might be her song gypsies tramps and thieves no it's not it's some it's like a a middle that song is in the book but it's like uh some kind of like innocuous middle of the road um like 1950s hit or something dylan's like this is the song of the rapist the song of the pederast <laughs> it's like it's so funny intense uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He has such a an apocalyptic vision of the world, but you know, there's room for a lot of laughs, a lot of uh, again eccentric tangents, such as I have no idea what the song that he was ostensibly reviewing was when he went off on the huge tirade about divorce lawyers. <laughs> but that was some fire. Uh, it was the most uh, inspiring piece of divorce inspired art since uh, Van Morrison's. Divorce-themed rewrite of the classic country blues, It Hurts Me Too. (laughs) 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 Is it called The anat The Philosophy of Modern... I've called this this book The Anatomy of Modern Song the whole time, haven't I? It's totally called The Philosophy of Modern Song. Can we just put this... That whole anatomy, that weird joke about wanting to fuck Bob Dylan that I made was totally unnecessary. (laughs) Who could have anticipated that?
1: We'll just we'll just rewrite the past. It's okay. Bruh. You, you you always said it correctly.
0: I yeah exactly. That man was never in the photograph. <laughs> um, <laughs> what about um, just a little record recommendation corner? Welcome to RP Record Club, folks. Do hey, hate cats. This is RP Record Corner. <laughs> We're gonna be telling you about some real groovy sounds, man. I'm gonna tell you about a real groovy record, man. It's a record called. Man. Exactly, getting into the spirit of things. There's a record, man, called uh, "Ecstasy" by Lou Reed, and uh, this was the last album of just like normal non-conceptual rock music for Lou Reed made in his lifetime because after this you only had three studio albums. You had The Raven which is a double album full of spoken word slash ambient pieces um, inspired by the songs of Edgar Allan Poe Obviously, I and then the you writings. had Lulu uh, which is an epic rock opera Uh, featuring Metallica with lyrics about uh, a young girl who is led astray down a a path of uh, sexual perversion uh, and debasement in uh, Weimar, Germany (laughs) or something. So you've got those uh, and an ambient album called Hudson River Meditations. And then just standing before that, fascinating body of work at the dawn of a century you have ecstasy uh and this is uh just a beautiful album it's maybe my favorite Reed solo album not counting the velvet underground stuff but i mean for me this was just him getting to the real core of himself as a musician as an artist writing with the kind of sensitivity of uh the late Velvet Underground playing guitar with the fire of the Velvet Underground times which he had done many times since but not trying to be too conventional not trying to be pointedly grotesque and weird and unpleasant to listen to. Um, I mean not that this album doesn't have its extremely challenging elements and I mean, one of my favorite tracks is this 18 minute song called Like a Possum, um, which is a kind of um, uh, a, just a, an epic feast of, uh, of, of, of the like the warmest, fuzziest distortion. Uh, for, again, for 18 minutes that you've ever heard, with kind of like rudimentary and um, velvet style, motucker style drums from. Lou's uh, much more technically accomplished uh, drummer Tony Thundersmith um, and this again I think it features the band that was that gave the truest account of Lou Reed's uh, core as a musician uh, in his later years consisting of bassist Fernando Saunders drummer again Tony Thundersmith and guitarist Mike Rathke um, and yeah, just full of fantastic songs uh, like Modern Dance, like, like Ecstasy, the title track, Mad Mystic Child. I mean, those four are all in a row. Tatters, Great Jam Vehicle on the Tour, which is my favourite Lumiere tour, uh, Future Farmers of America, Great Rocker, Big Sky. Um, yeah incredible record and just it, you know if it had been the last record that lou reed ever made um i think this would have been a fine way to go out but he made uh, a mad double album of metallica and i think that's just as beautiful uh, a way to end one's career as this very accomplished summation of a life's work so um ecstasy by lou reed Great, released yeah. in the year 2000 check it out rock minuet white prism where he obviously rhymes prism with jism uh like a possum lyrics about smoking crack and coming till it hurts classic Lou reed (laughs) uh hadn't lost his touch the whole lyrics of rock minuet uh and also just like very impressive sequencing i mean on vinyl this is a double album but uh just right at the end he puts the two most intense heaviest longest tracks right at the end uh rock minuet and like a possum and then puts the lightest track baton rouge between them and then after the 18 minutes of like a possum he and before big sky which is a kind of six minute uh guitar anthem he has, like, a nice one-minute orchestral reprise of Baton Rouge, which has, like, some really funny divorced I'm uh, Talking about great divorced art, there's a lyric like, I lost my car in a divorce. The judge was a woman, of course. Some, <laughs> some bait shit, like, from the wordsmith behind average guy. And, uh, in fact, women. A Great song. Um, but, yeah, man, I just love that album. It's, for me, like uh, like, the zenith of everything. Lou reed is about and my hair is so long that it just got in my pile of weed on the table and brushed a bunch of it on the floor oh man (laughs) long
1: hair problems
0: (laughs) I I don't think much of it fell it's cool yeah anything else anything you wanted to mention
1: Uh, I don't know I haven't really said much about Dune oh yeah yeah yeah,
0: do do the Dune ship and that was RP Record Recommendation doing doing Corner. Shit. RP Record Club. Check it out, you hip cats. Groovy. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the Real Politics Movie Show. You yeah, a place to go to get your effects of uh, intellectual film criticism.
1: This is a very serious film <laughs>
0: podcast. <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, yeah, I saw the 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 1984 David Lynch Dune. Nice. Not um, seen it. To be clear cuz there's multiple versions of it. Um I watched uh and there's not really any version that's like David Lynch's like final cut, you know. Yeah. Um most of it very meddled with by the studio. Who produced that? Something. Was it
0: um, was it a Dino Dilarentis film or was it a uh uh who's a big piece of shit? Uh Jerry Brookheimer? I don't actually know. It was one of the big guys. It's pretty Weinstein, it so you don't have to worry guys. about that. Nice.
1: But um, I, I I watched the Spice Diver edit is what <laughs> okay. it's called. Right? is that a fan thing? It is. It, what it it combines the ext- a lot of the footage from the extended version as well as some deleted scenes that are on the DVD, uh, and puts them into where they should be in the story. And it's like three hours long, so it contains everything tries to make sense. To so have extra sting. Of that, you know. Uh
0: it has
1: it has a good deal of sting. <laughs> you know, not not tons of sting. Is he good in it? Enough sting. Uh <laughs> 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 he's he's <laughs> sure. Yeah. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Worth watching. It's he's not a huge role, but he, he is uh, it's an important role. Okay. Like he's one of the uh like is uh, one of the henchmen of the bad guy. The,
0: the cast in this film is actually pretty church, yo. you got it is. Brad, it really, Brad Dorif, Dean Stockwell, Max von Sydow. Yeah, all yeah. people who I love to see. Dorif, obviously in Deadwood.
1: Yeah, uh, it's it and and uh it's it's a pretty crazy film um it 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 suffers i part of it the the introduction is like uh famously pretty unclear okay doesn't really uh it kind of just talks about the drug spice and doesn't really like i explain anything <laughs> it must have been a blast really too a relevant blast to the theory. story <laughs> Well, yeah, there is that. There's, there's also DMT is known as Spice. Oh, really? You know? um, so yeah, Spice is generally like a
0: drug related term. Yeah. Uh,
1: because of this movie and novel. I guess
0: actual Spice uh, is pretty potent, isn't it? So
1: yeah. Uh, it doesn't allow uh, you travel faster than the speed of light, though. I don't think.
0: No. Um, no. No, that's true. Well, you know, I, well, I don't uh, run an apothecary. I don't know. Maybe some of it does.
1: <laughs> and here, like here, I've seen the remake of Dune. Uh, I watched uh, in the twenty twenty one by by Company and Man. And it has the move. Via yeah. I I I enjoyed Blade Runner twenty forty nine enough, but it wasn't like, you know. I don't think. Oh yeah, that was a Via Nouve. Nah. Like joint, joint. Yeah. You know, like uh, that, that was so Via Nah. Uh no. Uh uh. It it was it was just an adequate film. Yep. And 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 uh yeah with Dune the introduction of the 2021 version is much clearer on like this is the good guy this is the bad guy like yeah there's still some nuance of, of like there is in the uh, novel supposedly i've never read the novel but uh and in, in the original movie so it's it's the same uh, there's story some nuance but it's pretty clear like, it's, it's the it's same story like a and then there's a or it kind of is. There's a lot of the same scenes. There's a couple of things that were different between the two versions. But for the most part, I was able to be like, oh, this is that scene from the movie. This is that scene from the movie. Yeah, yeah. yeah I recognize uh, uh, this is that character, that character. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so it's pretty similar. Uh, the The recent movie cuts off halfway through the book, the first book and the 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 david lynch movie attempts to cover the entire book but it, it, it which leads to major pacing issues cuz it like condenses the last half of the first book into 30 minutes at the end okay and uh, there's lots of, like, montage used to just be like, and then this happened, and th- that happened, and the good guys won a bunch of battles, and the bad guys were defeated, and, uh, yeah, it, it's not very clear in the David Lynch version at first, like, who you're supposed to really be rooting for. It takes a while to be like, oh, those guys seem pretty sinister. Yeah. Uh, compared to, say, Star Wars, where in the opening crawl, they they tell you it's like the evil empire, you know, like against the, the good re- rebels. Uh, it's, uh, so I can understand why people were confused. But I don't think... Yeah, I don't think that was a bad thing. I think the plot, when you really get down to it, <clears throat> yeah, there's some fairly complex world building, I guess, but it's... It's just at the end of the day, it's a sci-fi plot. It's it's it, is, it ends up feeling like Game of Thrones in space. Yeah. Like it's very uh, this house did that thing and that house did the other thing, and then you gotta track a lot of different names. And there's not. It doesn't really seem to have too much to say other than, "Whoa, dude! Did you know that thinking is the like?" Complicated, dude.
0: <laughs> what was that thing you said about before about like a spice voyage?
1: The spice must flow. Spice, I don't know. <laughs> spice,
0: something like watery or jumping or like some phrase to do with spice.
1: Yeah, there's lots of stuff to do with spice. Spice fountain. Sure. Spice fountains. I don't know, man. Ah, uh, uh,
0: maybe I just have to add a joke back in that that thing I had just said. That's like when Paul Mason smokes Spice and then jumps into a fountain to take a shit. It would have been a good re- response to something you said earlier about Spice.
1: That's perfect execution, <laughs> Jack. I think we should leave that unedited. That's just, just golden. Just, just like
0: um, the monarchy. Yeah.
1: I, I'll say if you gotta got watch Dune, watch the David Lynch version. It's a lot trippier. Yeah. It's a lot weirder. Um... And it that makes it better uh, it it doesn't it, it, the recent version just feels very same, yeah, and, like you could get a similar experience watching Star Wars or watching the recent Star Trek stuff or watching uh yeah Game of Thrones uh, it's not really unique um and and what I like about the David Lidge version is like I had to have my brain on like the whole time, like I was really like. Having to think and focus on like, okay, who's doing what now? This uh, wheels within wheels. It's uh, it was not the very hand holding. Yeah, you know, yeah. There was a lot of voiceover used instead of in the recent version. They use flashback, and mm-hmm. it's a lot more like uh, it points. Like uh, obviously, flashback can be fine, but it, I don't know. I feel like it it doesn't trust the audience to know what it's referring to. Yeah. At all, uh, and, and yeah. So watch the 1984 version. It, it's a, it's an experience. It's got some body horror elements to it. I believe I heard that uh, uh, it was, what, what's his name guy, Geiger.
0: Oh yeah, Geiger. yeah, Geiger. H L Geiger. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, HR Geiger. I pr- I'm pretty sure I heard he was involved oh, in the early stages of planning. Dude, and Rudy um,
0: Verlitzer, w who wrote Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid and Alex Cox's film Walker, uh, he, w- he would, oh, yeah. he would, he would have written the screenplay. That would have been unreal, man. Rudy Verlitzer was like a one of a kind guy. Um, there was some other film that he was yeah. gonna make with Alex Cox that sounded fucking amazing, but uh, yeah. Oh, he's still alive, actually. I said he was a one-of-a-kind guy. 85 years old and writing novels. Um,
1: I was just going to say, with the recent Dune, it looks like they're just trying to boot up a franchise. Like, they've got a TV show coming out. Oh, uh, yeah. There's a spinoff.
0: I bet. Yeah, 100%. uh, As
1: well as a, a sequel about the second half of the book, and... They're just yeah, G- Game of Thrones in space.
0: Yeah, hundred yes. percent. Have you um seen the documentary from twenty thirteen, Jodorowsky's Dune? Uh, it's no. about the first attempt to produce a film of Dune, which Alex um Alejandro is it Alex? Oh, yeah, yeah, Alejandro yeah, I'm Jodorowsky. Vaguely aware of the story. The uh the the wacky uh Chilean French avant garde director of the the Holy Mountain and El Topo. Um, he was going to direct it and he wanted to use uh, pink floyd and the other prog rock group magma um, for the music he wanted to uh, have hr geiger designing the designs like uh, you know just i think yeah i think yeah that would have been when geiger was no geiger was still involved in the first attempt by dino de Laurentiis to produce a hollywood version of the film so geiger um sort of was carried over from one production to the other um but uh the cast was going to include salvador dali as the emperor famous actor salvador <laughs> dali orson wells as uh baron hakonen mick jagger as fade ralph Fu, udo Kier as peter Devries, david carradine as Litro Andreas and uh jodorowsky's son was going to be in it as was gloria swanson um and that's like that's unreal uh funding dried up when the project ballooned to a 10 to 14 hour epic if only jodorowsky had just yeah. held on to the streaming era <laughs> to just that short window in the streaming era yeah
1: they would have loved to have so much content yeah
0: that should have is he still alive i think did Jodorowsky die? No, he's still alive. Yeah, fuck it. Let's go. give money to Jodorowsky. If they're franchising this shit anyway, just have him do a crazy spin-off uh, uh, <laughs> series and be like, yeah, this is like the um, uh, multiverse. That's why it's all different. <laughs> yeah. He yeah, yeah, couldn't yeah. cast Darley <laughs> or Wells in it anymore, but maybe Jagger could play one of the older characters. Good thinking. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And, um, <laughs> yeah, John son is still alive, so he could appear in it. Yeah, um, no, so I haven't seen any of uh, this stuff, but I will watch the Lynch film eventually because I've seen almost all his stuff, and it seems um, a shame. There
1: is some interesting music choices in there, some like very eighties guitar licks and stuff. Oh, you know,
0: dope. I wonder how did was Lynch in charge? Toto did the music fucking unreal but also brian eno composed prophecy theme so that's like from the the ridiculous of a sublime <laughs> like you know uh fucking great but yeah uh, toto um <laughs> just like the epitome of 80s dog shit
1: yeah, yeah doesn't
0: say yeah. anything about a soundtrack yeah. album uh, on here so i can't see if there's any more detail about uh, the music
1: but de- def- definitely a trip worth checking that out yeah, yeah.
0: man I guess if, um, if you uh, want to wrap up in a minute um
1: yeah probably yeah
0: I'll just I'll just add quickly but a moment I'm reading an um an anthology of the writing of Lester Bangs called Psychotic Reactions and Carburetor Dung, which is um Uh, compiled by the uh, esteemed music critic Greel Marcus, and uh, Bangs was one of the foremost rock critics of the 1970s and late 60s, writing primarily at the uh, Long Gone Cream magazine, which was a kind of uh, underground alternative to the mainstream criticism of places like Rolling Stone, where... um, bangs got fired from for uh criticizing articles that founder uh, jan Wenner uh, criticizing artists that jan Wenner liked um and yeah it's a really fascinating book it covers pretty much his whole life he died uh aged only 30 something i think in the early 80s of an accidental drug overdose and um it's really uh you know, some of the stuff has aged badly. There's a profile of Lou Reed that's a very famous piece. Um, I forget what it's called, but he calls Lou Reed a death dwarf in the title. And uh, it includes, you know, and it's a it's a great piece. It's a famous work of gonzo journalism where they're just kind of getting shit-faced and bitching at each other for the whole time. But there's a very unnecessary uh, an unpleasant kind of protracted, probably like page-long roast of Reed's transgender girlfriend rachel um who which seems like a bit of kind of collateral damage if he was trying to you know hold reed to account for uh you know not living up to his promise or his supposed principles or whatever um you know this was something that would uh, irk Reed basically for the rest of his life and meant that he wasn't particularly broken up about it when Lester Banks died, which in turn would set off the breakup of one of Lou's best solo backing bands because Robert Quine, his guitarist, was good friends with Banks. But, um, I mean, there's a couple of really notable pieces that stood out. There's a great, like, uh, American in UK kind of uh, fish out of water, very long profile of The Clash, um, where he basically makes the case that um, you don't need to actually write about their, uh, you know, very explicitly expressed socialist politics so much as you can just look at the way that they conduct themselves, the way that they treat their fans and see that this is a band who actually believe what they say, um, who's one of, like, the only band to actually live up to the, the cool shit that they um, that they say they stand for. Uh, and 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 then there's a great piece called the white noise supremacists which is about racism in the punk scene and it was written i think in 1979 or in the very early 80s and um you know it kind of looks i mean we all know obviously about the swastika being used as a dumb um signal of uh kind of um countercultural opposition to uh, the greatest generation, or whatever, by by um, you know, kind of pissing on the most uh, sacred totem of uh, their uh, kind of moral structure, which is that like we were the good guys in the Second World War. But um, you know, a few of the people wearing swastikas and stuff weren't just dumb fucks; they actually did uh, support fascism. And more to more more to that, there are there were bands that they would say racist things on stage, they would casually express racist views and, you know, there were you know, there were black people in the punk scene, but it was predominantly white and so, you know, uh Bang's talks to um people like uh oh, shit. Forgetting the name of the guitarist from Richard Hell and the Voidoids who wasn't Robert Quine. Ivan uh not Ivan Kral. Um Ivan Julian he talks to Ivan Julian and he talks to some bands who like you know have kind of songs that are racist and stuff and like ask them about it and but what's like most impressive because this wasn't like uh you know nowadays when every liberal has to kind of out out themselves as a massive racist by flagellating themselves (laughs) in some embarrassing think piece um it, it, it you know bangs owns up totally to his use of the n word in the past to of, of racism as a kind of shock technique um you know um he he and he owns up to the fact that he is effectively impotent when it comes to trying to make up for that like, the damage is done when you've behaved like that in the past, and he tells a story about, you know, some black guy overhearing him using the N-word in a club, and he goes up to the guy afterwards and tries to apologise to him, and uh, the guy's just like, I've met a million fucking assholes like you before, and I'll meet a million again, so it doesn't fucking matter, man, go away. And, like, um... You know, it's it's a really stark, yeah. like, powerful piece of writing. Also, because I'm on a big Velvet Underground, Lou Reed, John Cale kick at the moment, uh, featured quite um, an unfortunate bit of information in that uh, he says that Nico uh, recently complained that she'd been dropped by Island Records simply for saying that she didn't like Negroes, her words. Um, and um, so she'd clearly made some kind of racial remark. And I think people... Uh, you know, he says when Nico played Deutschland über alles on stage, we all dismissed it as oh, just this dumb fucking kraut doesn't know <laughs> doesn't know what she's doing. Um, but then, yeah, so she clearly made some kind of racial comment about just I just don't like the blacks, and then um. Got dropped by her record label for it, and then she just did this whole interview that made it so much worse. That she just said all the most like terrible stuff, just like, uh, saying I don't like them. They're ugly. Bob Marley, he's not a uh, um. He he. I think she used some kind of epithet there. She's like, he's not that. He has white features. I don't like their broad features. I'm just like fucking hell. <laughs> I mean. Nico's like persona always was a bit kind of like fascistic, uh, just like this beautiful blonde German woman, who's just kind of very steely and, you know, keeps her emotions kind of like under her, uh, <laughs> uh to her uh, close to her chest. But um, I didn't, I, I didn't actually have any idea that she was a massive racist. Um, but that's just one of the many uh, facts about um. Punk music and alternative music from the late 60s to the early um, early 80s featured in this Lester Bangs anthology. And there's just one more thing I want to say, which is that um, early on in the book, he starts talking about the Yardbirds. And he says, oh, they were great. I love these trashy garage rock bands of the early 60s and the Yardbirds were one of the best. And then in this ostensible profile of the Yardbirds, he just starts going on and on. And this is, in fact, the essay, Psychotic Reactions and Carburetor Dung, from which the book takes its name. He starts going on about the band The Count Five who had the famous 60s rock song, Psychotic Reaction. And he starts talking about all these albums, including their second album, the very avant-garde Carburetor Dung, um, which sound amazing, that sound increasingly innovative and um, artistically daring. Uh, And I'm like, how do I not know this about the Count Five? This is amazing. I'm I'm so glad to be y- learning all this stuff about the Count Five in this article about the Yardbirds. And I I definitely will be going out and checking out all these records. Um, and he gets to the end of the story and he's like, and then one of those bands that sounded like this was the Yardbirds, but that's a story for another time. Um, anyway, I went on the <laughs> Count Five's Wikipedia page. They had one album the one featuring Psychotic Reaction, um, Lester Banks just made up this entire fucking... Disc- sh- like, <laughs> fake discography for them, um, and wrote about it with the passion of somebody writing about the music that had moved them the most in their life. So it, as a kind of um, a demonstration of the power of music writing, I can hardly think of, um, you know, some something... Uh, more expertly done because I desperately wanted to hear those records when when seeing them written about Um, and yeah and it's like you know generally people say uh, you know if they're not dismissing music writing outright it's like well it's got to come from the music first the the music is the uh, you know the chicken and the egg in this scenario but um, not in this case. I mean, what would have been fucking funny was if, <laughs> just, just, or just really cool and inventive is was if some band had gone out and recorded all those fictitious albums that Lester Bangs had had made up. So instead of writing about music, you had music about writing. You know, music um, about writing about music. That is a real chicken and egg situation, I think. Um, So on that philosophical point uh, uh, about the philosophy of modern um, music writing uh, let's call it a day. Yeah.
1: Cool. Alright, this has been good.